I put a subtitle to the subtitle on this one. <laughs> I like messing with titles. Uh, where the rubber meets the road. Because we're going to do some of that today. We're going to do some rubber to the road ministry time throughout this word. So, so we start with a quick overview of the four areas of alienation caused by the intrusion of sin into the garden of God by Adam's disobedience. First, we were alienated from God himself. We lost our intimate fellowship with the manifest presence of God. Secondly, we were alienated from ourselves. We lost touch with our innocence, our identity as image bearers, carriers of the divine seed, and our spiritual power and prowess diminished as we fed our fleshly needs and appetites. And thirdly, we were alienated from others. Jealousy, envy, hatred, strife, the need to dominate, to subjugate others in order to feel powerful, to be the top dog, the winner, the best, the smartest, the fastest, the prettiest, the sexiest, the et cetera, the et cetera, the et cetera. And finally, we were alienated from creation. Pollution, pesticides, genetic manipulation, hybrid farming, deforestation, overfishing, overhunting, depletion of resources, even abortion, and probably especially abortion, shows the level of disdain that humans can have even for creation of our own species. But knowing that this is in place is not enough to rectify the condition. As in so many areas, uh, it will take action. Even as Jim mentioned last week, Jim Morris was talking last week, it takes action. So I want to offer some simple action steps to help us jumpstart the reconciliation process in our lives in at least three, the first three areas. And I'm giving you these, and I hope you'll take them home as ongoing tools because the process of reconciliation isn't a one-time event. It's a process. So you're going to bump into things. You're going to come up against some of these things as you're living your life, as you're walking the walk. And these will be responsive tools to situations where you can work your way through and not have to bear the weight of these things. So these are simple action steps to help us jumpstart the reconciliation process in our lives. And although Jesus provided all that we need for both life and godliness, he does nonetheless expect us to participate with him in the process. Right? You know that, right? Right, Pat? You know that. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. Okay, James 1.22 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you're a hearer only, you will deceive yourself. That's what he says. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. You know, I, I think I was 52 52 years old, before I actually changed my internal image of myself. Until I was, I thought I still had hair. 
When I would think about myself, I would think about myself with hair. And one day, one day I looked in the mirror, I was about 52, and I thought, what are you, you're crazy, man. <laughs> like, you got nothing there, you know? It's all gone. Change the picture. Don't we do that? How huh? do you carry a, a self-image of yourself? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know it, I know it. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. A doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. These are all actions. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's true religion. So let's do reconciliation. First, how do you reconcile to God? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have stepped into the process of reconciliation to the Father. 2 Corinthians 5.17 states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, if you could just grab that thought and process that through, a new creation. And I, I forget, somewhere else it goes on to say that we were not born again by flesh and blood, or by the will of man, but by the spirit of the living God. I mean, you have been reborn. You have been recreated by the spirit of God, not by natural process. You are a new creation. Think about this. Jesus came out of the tomb. He had no blood left. He was living with no blood. He was living by the spirit. You have been born again by the Spirit, you function at a different place in creation. Just to give you something to mull over. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, a good way to practice the me message of reconciliation, again, is in the mirror. We like to reconcile other people, don't we? Try it in the mirror some morning. But this is a process. In other words, it's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit of God working in you, empowering you to reconcile yourself, to reconcile yourself to the Father. God is already reconciled to you. He does not count your sin against you. That's done, finished, once and for all by the work of Christ on the cross. But there's still work on our side to do. So let me ask you a test question or two. First one, is God good? 
Oh, nice. You guys are awesome, right? Okay, here's question number two. Has anything bad or difficult happened in your life since you came to Christ? Huh? Okay. Did you ask the question, why is God doing this to me? Now, be honest. Have you ever asked that question? Why is God doing that? I can't believe what God is doing to me. Why is he doing this to me? Then in that moment, for you, God is not good. In that moment, if you're asking the question, why is God doing this bad thing to me? Then somewhere in your heart of hearts, you do not believe that God is good. And your emotional response is contrary to what the scripture reveals about God, and you need to be reconciled to God in that area of your life. How do we do that? Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly, with your God. So the prophet Micah reveals three areas where we can get out of sync with the Lord. Actions, do justice. Emotions, love kindness. And submission, walk humbly with your God. Those three areas are the ways that we get out of sync with the Lord. So our actions, our emotions, and our wills all need to be reconciled in a wide variety of areas. Jesus offers us the answer at the very start of his earthly ministry. Matthew 4:17. From that time Jesus began to preach saying, "Repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance." I find it very interesting that most of us when we hear someone tell us that we need to repent for whatever, that we tend to get defensive, like we are being asked to do something bad, something that will say that we are bad or wrong or need to be punished. But listen, repentance is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. It's the easy way out. It is the constant means by which we continue the process of being reconciled to both God and others. Do you know what one of the really cool things about being God is? You're never wrong. You are never wrong. You don't make mistakes or mess things up and you don't need to manipulate circumstances and situations in order to prove anything to anyone, if you're God. Up against God in any situation, if someone is in error, it is never God. Okay? <laughs> and so, repent. Luke 18, 19, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. God is always good. If God is good, then he cannot do evil. He will not do evil because it is contrary to who he is. God is love. If you believe or have ever believed that God has brought evil circumstances to, to play in your life, to get you to perform better or to do what he wants you to do, then you need to repent because God does not use manipulation to get you to do what Jesus has already done for you on the cross. <laughs> right? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. So we're going to pause here. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to be as honest as you can be because this is between you and God. If you've ever been angry or disappointed with God for doing something bad to you or any variation of that, I want you to put your hand up. I want you to pray after me. Father, I am so sorry for accusing you of being less than who you really are. I repent of any negative or accusatory thoughts or feelings that I may have had toward you. And I ask you to forgive me. Reconcile my heart to your heart. Reconcile my spirit to your spirit. And I ask this for the cause of the work of Jesus upon the cross. Amen. Amen. So anytime you, it comes to mind that you might have accused God of being anything other than good, pray that prayer. Repent. It's so simple. Just repent. So I'm going to reverse the order from the list and talk about reconciling with your neighbor first before we deal with reconciling with ourselves, only because the scripture offers some very simple and concrete instructions regarding the process, which, by the way, does not mean it will be any easier to do. First, it is imperative that we understand that when Jesus talks about neighbor, he doesn't necessarily mean friend. Right? Matthew 5.43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven and your father who is in heaven is good, Right? So that means if we want to be like him, we have to be good. 
even to those who hate us, because he does. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And, and here's the thing with that statement. If he says you must be, that means you can be. If he says you must be, it means he will empower you to be. Jesus takes us out of the arena of the emotionally charged natural response and challenges us to take the high road of the Father's love because in the kingdom of God economy, a neighbor lives by the narrow gate rule. Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also for them. Okay, now that's the golden rule, right? except many of us don't realize where he goes from the golden rule. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. Living that way is the narrow gate way. It's not going to church on Sunday. It's not going to midweek meeting. It's not reading your word. It's living the life of the kingdom. It's perfecting your life to match the life of the Father. It's loving your enemies. It's doing to others as you wish they would do for you. That's the narrow way. And you know you're in it because you feel squeezed. Right? It's a hard road. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And this is how you live out the narrow gate rule. Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, you got ears today? Listen. Listen. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, I have to work this scripture from the back end to the front. Okay? There's no way that I can step into this and love my enemy and to do good to those who hate me unless I have already begun to pray for them and to bless them. You see, I've got, to, I've got to stir up my emotions into the place where my spirit rises up over my soul because my soul wants to shake my fist at them and accuse them, but my spirit wants to love them and bless them. So I've got to pray, and I've got to speak words of blessing, and it might not necessarily be in their presence. It might be in, in my closet that I do this, but I've got to be to the place where something inside me squeezes me into the narrow way so I can complete the course. See, so start there. 
You know the people that uh, have offended you. You know the people who have abused you. You know the people who have accused you and hurt you. You can get away in a quiet place and begin to name their names to the heavenlies and say, Lord, I bless them. I pray for them. I ask you to pour out your goodness on their lives. And you know what happens? You get what he's giving them. Do you understand this dynamic? It's a starting point. This is so crucial to your spiritual well-being that Jesus tells us to interrupt our own worship of him in order to deal with our neighbor's stuff. Matthew 5:23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you and there's another one that says and or you have something against your brother so it's either side of the equation Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If you're in the middle of worship and all of a sudden you remember, you have a thought, you have an intrusion in your mind about somebody in the negative realm, you know what? Get on your knees and begin to bless them. Begin to pray for them. Begin to bombard heaven, shift from worship to to just pleading their cause before the throne of grace, then come back and see how much more intense your worship time will be. The issue here is simple. Forgiveness. Just like with God, it's repentance with one another. It's an issue of forgiveness. Both the offering of forgiveness for offenses against you and the asking of forgiveness for offenses you have committed against others. Family members, friends, workmates, and bosses, abusers, and haters. The list can be endless, but the response must be divine. Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also. Don't we love to leave that out? As we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now now listen to this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know why? Because you put up a barrier. You're saying to him, I want your blessings, but I don't want to be a blessing. And so he can't bless you unless you're going to be someone who gives a blessing. He never wastes his stuff. His word does not return to him void. He's not going to dump his word of blessing into your life so you can void it out in your own heart of unforgiveness. He won't do it. And it's nothing personal. It's just him guarding his own word. So you minister forgiveness and you start the flow. So again, I want to pause right here and pray. If you want to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray after me, and we can all do this one.
You know, this is just a blanket one, all right? <laughs> Father, forgive me for my unforgiveness. I now choose to forgive. Insert your own name in there, just quietly. Name somebody you need to forgive. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to create situations where I can ask forgiveness for those who I have hurt or offended. I pray for and bless, insert a name there, And I ask you to release them from the guilt of what they have done to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, this is a tool. I'm giving you a tool. Finally, we're going to talk about reconciling to self. Reconciling to self is an interesting dynamic because it often involves two issues. First is that we build up emotional and mental structures over our lifetimes to protect us from being hurt, what the Bible calls strongholds. They are places we run to in order to hide or defend ourselves from perceived threats. The second issue is that we lose touch with our identity in Christ and begin to identify with the structure that we retreat to. We take ownership of our brokenness, claiming its ownership of us as who we have become. How many people do you know that wear their medical label as their identity? Oh, I'm, I'm diabetic. Oh, nice to meet you, diabetic. My cancer. My cancer. Right? Taking ownership of the thing that's eating your life away. My cancer. My condition. I hate what they are doing in the schools these days with the children when they do not fit the normal mold. They label them ADD, ADHD, right? And then they medicate them into the realm of psychosis where reality becomes blurred, confused, and abnormal. So boys think they are girls, and girls become boys, and the system begins to cater to the broad road quest for the identity that they robbed from them. I mean, how horrendous. And they've expelled God and prayer from our schools. They build in fail-safes into their system to reinforce the structural integrity of this deceptive stronghold. Truth becomes relative. If it feels right for you, then it must be right. If it feels true for you, then it must be true. If, if you feel like a girl, even though biologically you're a boy, then you must be true to yourself. This is what's being taught to our children in the schools. 
And if you're a parent and object to the newfound liberty, and that liberty can be anything from wanting to party, drink, smoke pot, have sex, stay out all night, come and go as you please, or inject heroin into your body. The message is the same, and it's loud and clear. I want to do what I want to do, and you can't stop me. Rebellion sets in. Stubbornness rules the children. They begin to make bitter judgments against their parents and set their hearts against any and all parental pleas towards sanity, swearing an oath along this line. And many of you parents may have heard this. I hate you and I will never be like you. You may have even spoken that yourself. And the hammer of self-destruction falls on another young life, leaving the debris of broken-hearted loved ones in its wake. Now, these are extreme examples, I know, but this is one of the most important issues we can face as believers, the issue of our own heart. Listen to these scriptures. 1 Samuel 15, 23, this is from the modern King James Version. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness. Anyone stubborn in here? Come on. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idol worship. Rebellion is like witchcraft, stubbornness is the same as idol worship. Hebrews 12:15 See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. How can you fail to obtain what is freely given? Here's how that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Have you ever seen Bitter, a bitter and angry heart intrude into a family? We saw that in our own family. The consequences of that were horrendous. One of our grandchildren, bitterness of heart, did, wreaked havoc in the family for years. I thank God that he's redeemed that situation. Matthew 7, 1, 2. And we, we read through these things and think that they have no consequence to us. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. I, think about what you just heard. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. If I judge someone, if I speak a word of judgment against someone, they are going to be like a springboard back to me. And the prophet says, you sow the wind, but you reap a whirlwind. It comes back with far more force than you put it out. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And finally, Matthew 5, 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I can testify to that. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Now, now listen to this. Yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 
evil. Oh, I swear to God. Why would you even want to? Because there's something in the background. Just yes or no. So if you've ever been rebellious or stubborn, if you've ever been bitterly angry to the point of judging or swearing an oath or a vow against another, especially your parents, honor your father and your mother so it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God will give you. Any area where you dishonor your parents, it will not go well for you in that area. And the consequences of these actions are impacting your life at some level. It does not mean that you're doing witchcraft or worshiping idols, but the consequences are just as intense. But thanks be to God, there is a solution. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Colossians 2.13 And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. When Christ was crucified... Behind his hands, that nail pierced not only his flesh and bone, but went into all the curses, oaths, and vows that we have ever taken, all of the bitterness our heart has ever felt. And all we have to do is claim that work of Christ just like we claimed his redemption for the sin of our lives. It's, again, the easy road out. Again, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and just bring to mind a memory of a time when you were rebellious or stubborn or angry, a time when you might have judged someone else or spoken an oath against your parents from your heart. Just one memory that will represent every other time. And listen, we've all done it. We all do it. But it's time to be free. In Jesus. Pray with me. Jesus, I repent. And I ask you to forgive me of my rebellion. My stubbornness. My bitter anger. And my judgments. Forgive me for the times I have sworn oaths. Or made vows against my parents or their authority in my life. I ask you to take the consequences of these things out of my life and nail them to the cross. If you prayed that prayer is your prayer, I want you to lift your hands up to the Lord. And I'm going to pray for you and make a proclamation. Father, right now I stand in agreement with the testimonies, the good faith testimonies taking place in this room. I say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth to each of you, you are forgiven of your sin. 
Go and sin no more. In Jesus' name, amen.